After that, I felt it was stupid to try and control my desires. It seemed as life was conspiring to allow my lusts. The situation kept presenting itself. More importantly, there were no consequences. Writer and co-author of Dahmer Detective, the interrogation and investigation that shocked the world, Robin Maharaj, shoots on Fort Richmond, Winnipeg. I watched this guy doing up here in Manitoba. 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 It's the Manitoba Money Shot Podcast with me, Ronald George Moore. 16 years fly by real fast because it feels like yesterday. When Howard Chuck wouldn't give a care what Timo Salami thinks. And driving home, CJOB had more beefs than bouquets. Suck it twice. Suck it twice. Nice! Thank you! Thank you! Go Jets, go to the locker room. Where did we go wrong? Overtime, home game lost. The arena lights too strong. Dancing Gabe eyes up the queen at bus one final Hasn't been the same Dancing for the moose Sucked it for so many years Not a Stanley Cup in sight Welcome home We forgive you Suck it
we're having fun. Oh, we're having a ball. Uh, you've just heard Suck It Twice, uh, acoustic and electric. Uh, a song about the Winnipeg Jets. I thought I'd throw it in the podcast. They came pretty close, pretty close to winning the Stanley Cup, their first Stanley Cup. And the whole city was a buzz about it. And um, they didn't make it, but, you know, they didn't need to. Winnipeg was already uh, thrilled as shit that they uh, got so close. Which just made the song that much more true. (laughs) The fact that you don't have to win. You just have to be our team. Um... Yeah, and then the electric part, uh, after the Jets played their first game, uh, I always thought, well, it needs a third verse. So I wrote the third verse after the f- after they did lose <laughs> their opening game. And uh, yeah, it came full circle. Uh, you can find both of those videos on YouTube. Just search Suck It Twice and scroll down. Or You Sucked It Twice, actually, the second one's called. The band. The band um, features Jeff Smith, lead guitar. Uh, Dale, and I can't remember Dale's name, which is ridiculous. He's uh, rhythm guitar, Al Hoyuk on bass, and Chris Logan on drums and uh, <laughs> the backing vocals, dude. And if you watch the video, he's, he's, he has, he's holding a cardboard guitar. Brian. Brian is his name. Let's talk show. Today, Robin Maharaj um, is uh, very special to me in my life, in my time span. And I just want to let her know that I do remember skinny dipping. It took a few hours after uh, you left of me going, why don't I remember that? But I do. It all came back to me. It just took took a few hours to pull it out of my brain. Got some uh, social media happening on Twitter Manitoba Money Shot, at capital M, capital B, capital M, Money Shot, lowercase. And also on Facebook, check that out. Please subscribe, like, what, you know, all that, all that shit. And check out Robin's book. I bought my copy at McNally Robinson, Grand Park Mall. Go buy a copy. It is an awesome read. And now, the very lovely and talented Robin Maharaj. <laughs> Hello. We're rolling. Yay. <laughs> All right. So I'm very excited Robin Maharaj is here. Oh, this is like, this is old school friends. I'm talking old school. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Thank uh, you. you are a writer. You got a book out. Yes. Exciting. Exciting mm-hmm. book about Jeffrey Dahmer of all people. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to get into that. I've uh, been reading it. Um, I wasn't able to finish it, but I did get through... Uh, a little less than half of it, and it's uh, blown me away. This whole, oh, the whole, good. I had no idea about uh, all the background stuff with Jeffrey Dahmer. Mm, yeah. Serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, so we'll talk about that later, but first we're going to talk about Fort Richmond, because okay. uh, that's where I was born in Fort Richmond. Yes. You were born in Fort Richmond, right? Yes. Ah, see, I got one right already. <laughs> and let's talk about Fort Richmond. If you don't know, Fort Richmond is in the south end of the city yeah. of Winnipeg. Out near the University of Manitoba, sort right. of that area. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. So actually, uh, the, it, it goes from the Red River, uh, in between the Red River and Pemina Highway. Pemina Highway is a stretch of highway from like the middle of the city all the way south uh, to the perimeter, stops at the perimeter, and 
It includes the university. Mm-hmm. So everything from, I don't know, I would think Bison Drive, because if you include the university, it's all the way to University Crescent, right? Yes, that's so right. does that mean, is that a part of it, you think? I think so, yeah. I think that... Probably. Yeah. So there's a lot of space to cover. <laughs> uh, a big territory. A big territory for sure. Did you like... Your child in Fort Richmond? I did. I really enjoyed growing up in Fort Richmond. Yeah. It was really, it was a really nice, uh, safe, you know, uh, neighborhood and community. And uh, I think we probably were one of the last generations that could actually like go out and hang yeah, out. Go explore. Go explore. Get out of the house. Exactly. Stop you watching know? TV. <laughs> go outside. Get out and play with a ball. Come and... back in five hours. <laughs> That's right. I mean, we didn't have the same kind of... Um, you know, like parental monitoring. I mean, I'm sure they cared about what we were doing and, and where we were going, but we didn't have play dates. No, you know, exactly. you could just take off and be with your friends on the street or we go walked to, to school. Yeah, walked <laughs> we to walked school. Home. That's right. There was none of this uh, picking you up. No nope. uh, crap. But I was thinking actually because I knew we were going to talk about Fort Richmond, and right behind my house where I grew up, for many years as a child, it was actually forest. We had this huge stretch of forest that was, you know, eventually got clear cut and then houses were built up. But I would say until I was about 10 years old, we had this sort of uh, little forest sort of right in our backyard that we could just go exploring. That was the same way. Uh, And there was a whole big woods area on one whole side. Oh, man. And the bush parties. Yeah. (laughs) Did you go to bush parties? Yeah, a couple. (laughs) I remember in the middle of the forest, they have like this huge pit. And like Mm -hmm. around the pit, people dug... So there's seats. You can sit down in the dirt, but, you know, comfortably. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, drink with your buddies and just have a big bonfire. Mm -hmm. And then someone would yell, cops, whether they were there or not. And then it would scatter. Yeah. Then you go run run into the the night, you know, and it's Mm -hmm. super dark and... Yeah. yeah, that was, uh, those are good. I love those woods. Yeah. They had a tree house. Did the tree house in oh, the woods? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we made little forts and things like that. So, yeah, we definitely had our spots. And, and, and yeah, it was like when the lights came on, the street lights came on at night, that's when it was time to go home or you're supposed to start heading exactly. home. Exactly. But yeah. For sure. We had lots of freedom to just roam around our neighborhood. Oh, it was great. Yeah. It was great. I remember I used to take uh, the bus. To go comic book shopping. Mm-hmm. Every Saturday? Like every Saturday. Yeah. yeah. And it's like a half hour, 45 minute <laughs> bus ride to get downtown. Straight down Pemina. You know? And I'm like, you know, what, 14, 13 mm-hmm. on a bus? Yeah. There's no way. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'd let my kid do that. <laughs> like today. No. And it's all about people saying, oh, it's a whole, all the the different times we're living in. But I think it's just, people are just more aware of what's going on. Thanks to sharing on the internet and whatnot. Like it's probably all happening back then. Yeah. We just didn't necessarily know about it because we don't have the same spread of news the way we do now. We we know what's happening in the States all the time and, you know, incidents that we never would have heard of before. For sure. For sure. I remember there were times when we'd be very worried about flashers. Like there'd be a little park near <laughs> this elementary school, and every so often you'd hear news of some guy flashing kids, you know, and that's probably wow. about as serious, I mean, that I ever heard as far as, you know. Yeah. But, but you were but never flashed? I was never flashed, not as a kid. I was flashed many times as an adult. You were? <laughs> well, that's another story. Really? But uh, okay. yeah, I just seem to have weird luck when it comes to things like that. I'll be sitting in a park reading a book, and then I'll look up, and there's some guy in a hill flashing all of a sudden, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I never. And one guy that. flashed me. He was on a ten-speed bike, and I was just walking home from How somewhere. How does that work? Did I don't he stand know. Stand up, pull his zipper down. Or? Well, he was wearing sweats, so he just kind of yanked him down. And <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! 
I must have that kind of face that attracts. I don't know. But the other nice thing, just to go back to Fort Richmond for a second, the other nice thing I thought about growing up there was it was actually a pretty diverse community, yeah. all things considered. Um, maybe not as diverse as the city is now, but there was some, like because of the university, you had people there that taught. And, uh, and even classes, I know, but uh, I mean, when I say classes, I don't mean teaching classes. I mean, in terms of society and class, there were people there that were wealthy, but there was also people there that were going as students and had kids and those kids went to school with us and, you know, they didn't obviously have a lot of money, Mm -hmm. lots of different people coming from all over the world to attend school. Oh yeah. So at that time, I think it was a little bit more diverse than most other communities in the city. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is your mom still there? Um, no, she actually uh, sold the house where I grew up uh, right. just a few years ago, like five years ago or something. Wow. And then she moved into a condo. So Oh, so she's still in the city. She's still in the That's city, awesome. yeah. yeah. So let's talk about uh, the schooling. You went to Dalhousie Elementary? Um, I did. That's go, where you lived. You're close to... Very close to Dalhousie. I went there for a few years, I think up until grade uh, two. And then I transferred to Santa Villa, which is also in Fort Richmond, but just a little right. bit further. And uh, so I was there until grade six, and then I went to Arthur A. Leach for middle school, and then came back to Fort Richmond, because I was in Waverly Heights, but then I came back to Fort Richmond for high school. Right, right. Was that weird, having to, like, change... Like, um, a little bit, yeah, a little bit. I don't, I can't even remember all the reasons why, but like, I did think you have to leave best friends behind. A little bit, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But a few people I knew actually were going to Leech as well, and then once I was there, made friends, and then several of those people actually came to Fort Richmond. They had a choice, I guess. They could have gone to Vincent Massey or FRC. Yeah. So there was kind of a FRC's neat... rival. That's right, Vincent Massey. <laughs> <laughs> But I think I think actually Leech was a little smaller than Acadia, and I think my parents kind of like that, you know, yeah. that environment maybe. So, so you got the Fortune Collegiate, right? Because you didn't go to Acadia. No, right? I didn't go you to went Acadia. To Fortune Collegiate, like in grade ten. Grade ten, yeah. Mm-hmm. Grade ten, that's cool, and mm-hmm. that's where we met. That's right. I don't know, was it grade ten or grade eleven? Grade ten. Grade ten, yeah. Grade ten, and uh, it, was, it was funny. <laughs> funny enough, uh, you're my first girlfriend. I'll say it. <laughs> I'll say it. I'm not, you know, I, I am. I am. I'm proud. That was cool. Aww. You're very nice to me in, Aww, in our that's relationship. Sweet, Ron. Do you remember that you were, that I was your boyfriend there for? Of course time? I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How could I forget my first love? Yeah, first love for sure. And uh, so I, uh, I think I'm getting red just talking now. <laughs> oh my god. Um, yeah. So that was really cool. Mm-hmm. We, we dated for. A couple of years, I think, two, two and a half years or something like wow. that. So most of high oh. school. No, those years were a lot of fun, actually. I remember going to like school dances and yeah, yeah. the school dances. Being on, being on tech crew together, that was lots the of fun. The tech crew was a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm doing the Billy Do you remember Ocean. skinny dipping at my friend Kelly's aunt's house when they, we were house sitting? God, no. I just... <laughs> I skinny dip. That seems yes. like something I would never well, do. We each had our boyfriends over because uh, Kelly was there with her boyfriend. Right. So, yeah. And you guys, it was kind of fun. Shout out to Kelly, by the way. <laughs> Kelly. <laughs> She'll be so pleased I mentioned it. But, yeah, no, it was lots of fun. We were, we were house sitting. And so we were just, you know, a couple of wild girls partying away and we had to have our boyfriends over. And this is in Fort Richmond, right? Well, no, they lived in St. Patel. Oh. Yeah. Wanted to tie it in. <laughs> Sorry. That's all right. That's all right. All right. So, and, Skinny dipping, wait a minute. I think it is flashing. No. St. <laughs> Vital pools naked. I don't, I don't know. It was nighttime, if that helps. I don't know. Mm, thank God it was nighttime. If it was during the day. <laughs> Brutal. 
I definitely probably blocked it out because okay. I was embarrassed or something like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. But that's cool. Uh, so, uh, the, yeah, and then we did the Fort Richmond Collegiate thing and graduated. Uh... Uh, well, I, I studied uh, writing and uh, film studies and literature um, kind of history. I did sort of a, a smattering of courses at University of Manitoba. Yeah. And then I was accepted into a two-year program at Red River College, which was really focused on writing. Because I think after that first year, I mean, for a long time, I knew I wanted to be a writer. Um, yeah. But I felt like I wasn't doing the kind of writing I wanted to be doing at university. So this program that I'd heard about and signed up for, I had to wait a year to get in. But um, yeah, I studied journalism and public relations and basically marketing, that kind of thing. All so, at Red River? All at Red River, yeah. And then oh. at the same time, after well, after I graduated from there, I started working. And then I also sort of, I wanted to finish a degree, actually. Where are you so, working? Uh, right after I graduated, I started working at the Manitoba Writers Guild. And I started doing communications and marketing work there. So right. I worked there for about three years. And then the woman who was the director left. She took on another job. So I... You're became in the, the know. You're, you're I became networking. the director. <laughs> That's amazing. You became the director? At 20, I was 24 when that happened. How so. long were you director? Um, well, I was at the Writers Guild for 16 and a half years altogether. So 13 years as the director. Wow. So It was a great job. I mean, I loved being there because you're sort of surrounded by writing and people who are interested in that same field. And people are launching books all the time and reading from their work. And there's mm-hmm. lots of encouragement for young well, There was a lot of encouragement for young writers or emerging writers. Because um, people could start writing seriously at you know fifty if they wanted, but um, right. oh, for yeah, sure. so it's and there was mentor programs and just lots of opportunities. Because writing, <clears throat> like a lot of art forms, is a very isolating experience. So it's he- helpful to have access to other people who are kind of like minded <laughs> to take you out of the cellar and show you the sun. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. Like, hey. That's right. Well, <laughs> even just talking about writing or having books recommended to you, like those are all important things. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. And yeah. so you, it's still going on, right? You're just not a part of it. Uh, I'm not a part of it anymore, and I think it's sort of changed a little bit like they have sort of shrunk in terms of what they do and I don't know if they have the same kind of staff that they used to have Um, but yeah so I was there until 2008 and uh, but I was writing like I was writing articles and uh, yeah you're balancing out the administrative work with the writing writing on the side yeah what what are you writing what kind of stuff are you involved with like uh, well I mean for pure enjoyment I guess I would say I write um, poetry which I don't really publish all that much or I don't really send it out to be published all that much it's more of a private kind of way that I like to express myself. But my interest in terms of writing for a living is feature writing. So writing either magazine articles or newspaper articles, not sort of breaking news, but more sort of looking at a story and then taking one aspect of it and sort of exploring it. Right. Um, some, somebody would give you a topic or in uh, other words, sometimes or you, pick, you pick and choose. Yeah. Sometimes I have ideas that I will pitch to a magazine or a publication and just yeah. say, you know, are you interested in this story? And then sometimes people will say, well, we're going to ask you to write this. A lot of that happens mostly with reviews because I do book reviewing and film reviewing. Mm-hmm. So that kind of thing, you usually get invited to, to submit. And you're doing that currently too, right? Uh, a little bit now, yeah. Right now, I'm not working full time, so I have more time to. Well, I'm working on another book, um, so I've and I've got publisher kind of giving me a bit of a green light to go ahead and move forward on that. And I'm also doing some uh, marketing and technical writing, sort of for a living. And uh, but yeah, occasionally I still will uh, put out a more magazine article. Like right. the Dahmer book actually came as a result of an article I wanted to write about jo- Dahmer, and the detective I met with was actually just one of my subjects in so, my interview. So you wanted you had. The, the interest to write about Jeffrey Dahmer 
Wait, are you into that kind of stuff? Like well, you're into I'm murder, a reader. Murder? I, yes, I am a reader of true crime, and I true love crime, I love yeah. detective stories, crime stories. Um, I don't watch a lot of television, but if I do, it's mostly like um, investigation, discovery, documentary type programs, forensic type programs. Like right. to me, that's interesting. Sure. So I've always been a very uh, avid true crime reader. So I have quite a library of books that are sort of focused on different crimes or criminals. And uh, that's one area of writing that I guess I kind of always thought it would be interesting to be a crime writer. And yeah. so I thought, well, I'm not going to, I'm too old <laughs> to set in my ways to like go to a paper and say, hey, you guys hiring a new <laughs> crime writer. I want to be on the beat. Exactly. But it was more just, you know, I'm interested in just sort of exploring writing about this. And so the thing that triggered the Jeffrey Dahmer story, though, was I was watching, um, I guess it was a program. It was either I was watching it or I was reading it, but it was like a top 10 list of, you know, the most evil people in history. And Dahmer was like number three on this list. Really? Uh, let me let me guess. Let me see if I can guess two and one. Okay. okay one's got to be Hitler. Yeah. One's Adolf Hitler. So a guy in between, I'm assuming a dude, <laughs> a guy in between Adolf Hitler and Jeffrey Dahmer? This is where I was saying I was dumb. I can't oh, think. Well, it was Stalin. Ah, Stalin! <laughs> yeah, Stalin. Yeah. Really, so, he's got a higher kill, I guess, yeah. of course. Yeah, what's Jeffrey Dahmer? 17, 17. kills, and he's probably another thousands. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> you've got these, like, dictator, you know, historical dictators on their list, and like one and two, and then three was the serial killer from Milwaukee. So, but I mean, what interested me is because I didn't really know a lot about Jeffrey Dahmer. But I thought, you know, like from what I remembered, because this was recently that I had read this list. And so I'm thinking back to like the early 90s when Jeffrey was first caught and he was first, yeah. you know, uh, shown to the world in terms of who he was. And uh, but I thought, you know, back in those days when I remember the news and seeing the news clippings and, and coverage, like he just seemed like a very benign, boring person. Like I didn't remember sort of thinking that he was particularly evil or, you know, maniacal. No, so in the book kinda... they're saying how he's like pretty much like he they could see how he would be like just uh, just like you and me, like an everyday guy. Yeah. Um, if he wasn't uh, crazy for chopping people's heads <laughs> off and uh, I mean he was a very ugh. warped person he, that, there's no question about that and you know his interests in terms of his fetishes and the interest in necrophilia God, and cannibalism half the book. He's like, half yes the time. I mean just, very high sex drive in that regard yeah. and yeah I mean that was his focus like his focus <clears throat> really all the time almost seemed to be on finding men and having sex with them but also trying to like control them like completely control them so yeah. so a big part of his like I would even say his social life was uh, wrapped around that and you know just his well I mean he had a very boring job and so even just you know when he's mixing chocolate I think he was constantly fantasizing and, right you know yeah I mean he was a very so yeah so I kind of thought about it in terms of like you know where is this sort of evil I mean certainly his behavior and the crimes and his actions are but in terms of who he was as a person I was kind of interested to read more about it or research more about that right right okay and I wanted to ask you about uh, the fact that okay let, let's talk about the book here Dahmer Detective, The Interrogation and Investigation That Shocked the World by Patrick Kennedy and Robin Maharaj. Now, um, <clears throat> before I even read the book, I'm like, wow, how do you collaborate with a person when you're writing a book? Because I was like, how does that work? Does he take half the pages or whatever? And then I realized... I write one, three, five. Cause, cause <laughs> he writes I, two, four, exactly. six. <laughs> Just an email back and forth, ping pong. But I didn't realize that Patrick Kennedy was the actual detective yeah. who had them in the interrogation room. And uh, he was the first one to really pull out all the information and make him feel like, I don't know how much I should give away the book, but make him feel like he ha uh, kind of owes his uh, victims or his, the victim's family some sense of closure. Yes, right? right. And so he was able to do that. I had no idea. Like, 
I just thought it was like you guys, two authors paired up, but mm-hmm. he's no. a detective. Yeah. 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 It was his story, really. It's, his, it's all his story. Now, and you, you met him? I did meet him, you yes. You met him, obviously, as a collaboration, but didn't he, did he pass away? He did, actually, yeah. about uh, a, less than a week after we met for the very first time. No he died. fucking yeah. way. Yeah. Do you want me to tell you how that all happened? Yeah, I'd love to hear this. <laughs> okay. Well, essentially what happened was I was going to do this article on Jeffrey Dahmer, like the one I was just describing in terms of really exploring a little bit more about him as a person. And so right around that time, one of the documentaries I watched was something called The Jeffrey Dahmer Files. I think that's what it's called now. I think at the time it was just called Jeffrey or something. But anyways, um, it's a documentary and it sort of features all about his crimes and what he did and the effect on Milwaukee. Because the filmmaker is actually from Milwaukee, a young fellow named Chris Thompson. He actually lived in Milwaukee at that time as well as in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. So he kind of had the the view of the story as it was unfolding kind of from when you're living in the... Yeah, first time. Experience firsthand, sort of in the middle of it, but then also living sort of slightly away and sort of observing Milwaukee as it sort of dealt with, you know, the serial killer that was in their midst right. that they didn't know about. Right. And um, so, anyways, I contacted Chris and I said, you know, I really enjoyed your film because uh, Kennedy, Patrick Kennedy, was featured in it. There was also a neighbor of Dahmer's who lived across the hall in the apartment where they eventually found all these body parts. Whoa. And she really kind of knew Jeff, like they were sort of friendly and would talk in the hallway and stuff and occasionally sit outside and have a beer or whatever. And mm-hmm. uh, so she kind of knew him. More so than any other neighbor in the building where he lived. And then the third person was um, the medical examiner in Milwaukee. So they were looking at it from that sort of forensic point of view. Mm -hmm. But anyways, Kennedy did a really good job, I think, think explaining how he was able to kind of get the story out of Dahmer. So I said... I sent a letter and I said, you know, if you could just please pass this on to Kennedy, I'd appreciate it. Okay, well, then, I'm sorry. So Kennedy is in the documentary. He's that, in the documentary. Okay, yeah. So he's, he's one of three people being interviewed throughout this right. program. Okay, I gotcha. So I sent a little note to the director and I said, could you pass this little um, message on to Kennedy? And I was hoping that Kennedy would get in touch with me because I wanted to interview him. And sure right. enough, he sent me an email back and thanked me for my compliments to him. And I uh, was interested to know who I was. So mm-hmm. I told him I'm a writer and I'm interested in doing a story on Dom or would he be interested in being interviewed? Right. So for a few months, anyways, we had this sort of back and forth dialogue, got to know each other. Um, I know from what I explained to him about my article, he seemed really interested because yeah. he said a lot of people, when they want to do a story on Dahmer, they really wanted to sort of focus on the gory aspects and the sensationalizing of the story. Whereas I was more interested in sort of the psychological Yeah, people behavior. want the horror movie. That's right. right. Yeah, they want the blood and the guts. Mm-hmm. And I was not interested really in that at all. Right. But um, so anyways, we sort of went back and forth in, in our um, uh, communications via email. And then he mentioned that he was going to be at a film festival in Madison right. in April of 2013. So I said, you know, why don't I just like drive down and meet you? And then because he had already told me in an email that he had a manuscript. And he said, if you're a writer, editor, I'd love for you to. I just, was going to say, it seems yeah. like he, this was. Like he basically, he's a detective. He's writing down all these notes. Yeah. He's probably got a book uh, happening as the days unfold, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, not only he... that, it says that uh, he kind of senses that, and he knows because he's now associated with Dahmer yeah. that he's under the spotlight. The media is he's he, people not only are getting to know him. Yeah. I'm sorry, Jeffrey Dahmer, but they're getting to know uh, him as well, uh, Patrick Kennedy. That's right. So yeah. it's like he's getting this kind of uh, mini celebratory yeah. uh, presence. Yeah. So, well, that's it, even one of the things that Dahmer said is once he goes, once I tell you my story, he goes, you're going to be famous. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so. the wow, the detail of about what's 
going on. It's very slow. Like it's very, yeah. it's very. Uh, you, you can really picture being in that room the way he describes it, yeah. or the way you. You, you can almost smell it. the smoke, <laughs> the cigarettes, the coffee. You know, like yeah, it's that's. He painted a really good picture, and you're right. Like he actually, I think right after the whole case wrapped up, like back yeah. in ninety three, two two ninety three, um, he really just had to get all this story out because it was just sort of like festering almost right. in him, and he really just kind of needed to let it go. So he wrote it all out, and and uh, he had his access to his police reports and everything so he could get it all accurate. Right. And uh, But yeah, he kind of would uh, take this story, work on it a little bit, put it in a drawer, you know, of his desk and then bring it out. And he didn't really do too much with it. Uh, he would use it as a resource because eventually he did retire from the uh, M- Milwaukee Police Department mm-hmm. and he went on to further his education, became a criminalist really? and uh, be- then became a professor of criminal justice at I both it, universities. I find so. it funny, like so much time passed and he never thought Well, I think in some ways he thought, well, maybe there's a book here. But then, you know, the Dahmer story would kind of go away for a while. I mean, it's almost 30 years that this happened. So so I think he just kind of would sort of take the, you know, sort of see the sense of the tide. And, of course, there's other killers that have come out since Dahmer. And, you know, sort of. But then there is this always seems to be this interest in crime. So I guess he sort of thought there might be a possibility. And there's been a few films. Like there was a film, you know, many years ago that came out. And so, again, there's sort of a renewed interest in Dahmer. Right now there's like kind of an interest because there was a film that came out last year about um, him in high school, uh, my friend Dahmer, which is basically oh, right. the yeah, Dahmer, yeah. what That's Jeffrey true. was like in high school. So, mm-hmm. so with that, there was sort of a resurgence <coughs> of interest in the Dahmer story. Right now, I, yeah. I think I interrupted you. You were saying that you you went down to the film festival. I went down to the film festival, and so you met the, was, Mr. Kennedy. I met Mr. Kennedy then, and so we um, had this really wonderful uh, meeting. Like it was just great because I think in a lot of ways we felt like we really knew each other. Mm-hmm. And he had brought his manuscript. And at that point, I was like, I was interviewing him for an article, and he was just going to sort of let me look at his manuscript in case there was research kind of stuff in there that he thought might be helpful to me in terms of writing it. Right. But then we went out for dinner, and we had this really long interview, because as it turned out, we went out for dinner, and then later on in the evening, there was the showcase of the film, which he did come to, and then there was like a QA and a afterwards. So in this course of this, you know, meeting and this interview, you know, it sort of came out that he said, you know, maybe you should just like look at my manuscript and, you know, maybe you could help me to get it to the point where it could be actually looked at by a publisher. Because okay. I was able to tell him like how you go about to get a book published. Like I, I'm not sure if he thought someone would just approach him or if you actually have to go out and kind of sell it yourself. So I told him you right. have to write letters and you know everything that you need to do. But I said, I'm willing to help you. I'll help you because I think this is a fascinating story. Yeah. So we had this interview and everything in Wisconsin and in Madison. And then um, I came back and then we had a couple of exchanges by email. Just, you know, it's like, I'm glad to hear you made it home and that it was really great and to meet each other. did you come back with other. any material to look over? Um, I just, did. He yeah. actually had, we got the thing printed. You. Yeah. He printed it up for me and I uh, took it home and I was starting to read it actually. And I said, you know, is it okay if I make comments and provide some feedback? And he's like, absolutely. Anything you think that will improve it, then, you know, go ahead and, and uh, suggest. <clears throat> so I was actually in the process of reading it and about four days after I got back, um, somebody called me and said, you know, Patrick had a heart attack and he's dead. And so, wow. yeah. And I, I honestly, I didn't believe it. I thought this, this is a joke. Like he's just the really, really terrible joke. You had to get on the internet and just And I had to get on the internet and, and te- te- check. And sure enough, it's like, you know, Milwaukee, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer detective, you know, fatal heart attack. And oh so that was God. it. That's so crazy. I was like right in the middle of reading his work and making these comments. And it was like, okay, now what do I do? So as it turned out, I mean, it took me a couple of days, but I did eventually finish reading it. And I kind of just went through it as if he was still alive. And I just kind of made, right. made the comments and kept going. And then I eventually sent the assessment to his widow. 
And uh, I did go on to write my article about a year later. Did and you, it was did published. you uh, meet the widow before you left? I, I never met her, no. um, okay. but I've been in email touch with her. Yeah. yeah. And she's in the book too. She is in the book. But yeah. Because, uh, well, this was a second wife actually that he married. So she didn't, well, she wasn't really with him when the whole Dahmer thing was unfolding, but she certainly was with him. Oh, because... shit. Spoiler alert. I haven't gotten that far. It's <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> okay. That's all right. But, uh. you know, like years and years and years later, he was always associated with the case because anytime anyone wanted to do an interview or a profile or an article about Dahmer, he was like the go-to guy. Yeah. Because everyone's sure. like, we want the guy who's got the, cl- had the closest access. And it was definitely Kennedy. Right. I tell you though, I, I had a, feeling about that second wife or his wife in the book is kind of like, you know, she seems a little judgy, but she also helped him quit drinking and blah, blah, blah. Now I just want to ask you questions about the book, but no, I will finish the book. Um, All right. So you, uh, you you were able to work with the widow. She was all down for, for whatever you wanted. Well, once I sent her the article, uh, she really thought I had done a nice job with it. And she said, you know, Kennedy would have just loved the assessment that you did. And she said, I think you were, you and he had a lot of similar feelings about Dahmer Mm -hmm. and which really boiled down to that, you know, like he wasn't evil, but what he did was evil. His actions, you know, were what was wrong with him and that was the criminal part of him but there was a part of him that actually <laughs> was the, very human <laughs> other than the choking and raping uh, my victims unconscious and cutting the <laughs> flesh off their bones oh, he was a great guy he was super <laughs> and he, you know, he, like you say always he, left a penny never took a penny <laughs> Awesome. He's a Boy Scout. No, uh, I, I mean, we just sort of, I, I guess he and I were able to kind of separate what he did because we really were interested in what made him, like what made him. Mm-hmm. And how can you avoid making a kid like this again? Because, you know, he did have, I mean, he had a, a good childhood in many ways. I mean, he came from a, a so lonely. good family. But yeah, there was loneliness. There was bullying. Um, there was, you know, he got into drinking very young. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was very isolated. He had a hard time making friends. And I mean, these are all things that, you know, are not that unheard of like and, there's lots uh, of people. he was uh, skin and dogs or <laughs> he was <laughs> dead dogs very yeah he was very interested in roadkill so right from the from his early age he yeah. was you know very uh, weird skinning <laughs> animals yeah <laughs> and i thought well that's you know that can okay i can see the path now yeah yeah well no one stopped him or no one really questioned why he was doing that like his dad was a scientist and when he would ask these weird questions about like, well, how do you get skin off a bone? Yeah, you know, like his dad wasn't saying to him, well, why would you want to know that? Or what are you doing? Or, you know, he was kind of like, oh, sure, I can teach you, you know. Yeah, it so. seems like all these weird circumstances in his childhood kind of made him who he was. Like, say, if his dad wasn't a chemist, you know, or, yeah. or if he, maybe if you had a big family around him all the time, maybe right. it wouldn't have turned out that way. But it's hard because it seemed like those urges he was saying started when he was young. Pretty young. Yeah. Pretty young. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so he had a heart attack. He had a Robert heart attack Kennedy. and he passed away. So so after the article in, came in out, yes, yeah, yeah, he was at his house. Actually, that's what happened. He was home alone and and he just had a fatal heart attack and he couldn't get help. So, um, but yeah, so I, I uh, sent the article to his wife and she said, you know, you you know, she thought I had done a nice job and she said, I think you and, and Pat, even though you didn't know each other for very long or very well, like she said, I think you guys had a really a, a meeting of the minds when it came to the Dahmer subject. So, yeah. so I said, well, how would you feel if I just worked on it and did some work with it? And she's right. like, if you want to just, basically she just said, take the manuscript and do whatever you can with it. So that meant working on it, editing it, because there was a whole bunch of stuff in there that didn't really kind of need to be in there. Um, just a little bit of tightening up. There was a 
bit of repetition in terms of some of the stuff he was telling, especially when they were getting to the part where every single day they were going and picking him up and bringing him to the interrogation room. And it was sort of over and over again. It's like, we don't need to hear (laughs) how that went down every single time. You know, every crack on the wall. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And then I, the the book actually, like his, his book or his manuscript actually started right from getting ready to go to work that night and, you know, showing up at work because he was working the third, uh, third shift. Um, So it was kind of like, so within like a day, a page or two of his manuscript, you know, you're already like you're in the apartment and you're starting to see like gut, blood and guts. And it's like, OK, it's a little bit too soon. Like you're going to hit the reader like too with too much too soon. Right. So it really needed kind of a proper introduction. And there was a couple of encounters that had happened with Dahmer where he was like almost caught, you know, like very early on where he could have actually been caught and stopped. And uh, it really kind of went to the kind of uh, personality he had and that he was very deferential with authority. Yes, sir. No, sir. You know, like so people could question him but he would seem as though here's a nice normal young polite man you know so he was able to talk himself out of a lot of things so it was important to sort of show that i thought and um and then it kind of leads into patrick's part and then in the end i wanted to sort of study the um things that i'd learned about Dahmer just in terms of psychological and you know sort of because that kind of stuff wasn't really um in uh, patrick's manuscript it basically goes right from like the time that he met uh, met uh, Dahmer that first night in the apartment when they opened the fridge door and uh, there's all these like things that you wouldn't expect to see in a refrigerator yeah i'm not going to be a do a spoiler here (laughs) and then uh, the last the last section that he had was basically you know jeff's been found guilty and he's got this huge sentence he's been sentenced to like 900 years or whatever and they say their goodbye and that's it so it kind of neat to me it needed really? to explain a little wow. bit more and the fact that even that Dahmer was killed in prison wasn't included See, in I, didn't, I, I was trying to remember okay what I, I, I knew I remembered he was dead yeah yeah Feels he was like only yesterday. in prison was, for three years or so before he was killed so well that's what he was afraid of yeah I don't want to be with yeah. those other guys yeah well you know I think by the time he was sentenced he really felt like my life's over you know so I'm just gonna have to do my time and and uh, when he would talk to his parents, you know, he would sort of, I mean, they were trying to sort of cheer him up a little bit and sort of try and make a very positive. And he's like, this is, you know, like this place is hell, you know, but oh, I mean, sure. he really, really understood why he was there and he didn't question like he's, he wasn't trying to get free, you know, like he knew he had to be exactly. punished. Exactly. Like the way he was just like, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I don't need a lawyer. I can talk to you guys. He just, he was, you know, he, he knew he had to make amends. Right. He, he should maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you did did it feel kind of uh, strange the fact that he died of a heart attack because uh, you know uh, we know that uh, you suffered a heart attack. Mm-hmm. Um, what year was that? Um, my I had a heart attack. I was thirty six, and it, that happened in t- two thousand and seven. Two thousand and seven. Yeah, and he died in twenty thirteen. But here's a real weird irony: um, the day he died was April eighteenth. So I actually I had had dinner and my interview and everything with him was actually on April thirteenth. It was a Saturday okay. of that year, twenty thirteen. And on the eighteenth, so five days later, is when he had his heart attack. Well, when I looked at the calendar, I was like, "That's the exact same date as when I had my heart attack on the eighteenth of April." Oh my God. So when it happened, it was kind of like, I mean, it was many years later for him, obviously, but I mean, it was very, um, very bizarre. And I really kind of felt like, man, this even ties us together even closer, you know? Exactly. Like I really felt that. No, when you, when you had your heart attack, can you, what, what were you doing? Like, like when that whole, when it happens, 
how do you react? Like, what do you, what do you, uh, uh well you're... for about a week or two weeks or so before I had my heart attack, I actually had been having chest pains really? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And it was very strange because anytime I was sort of doing anything real physical, like walking fast or going up and down stairs, like I'd have this pain in my chest. So initially it was sort of like, oh, well, it's probably just something I did or something ate or whatever, right. and it'll go away, but it wasn't. And, um, and it seemed to be getting a little bit worse. And then, um, just you, before it consult happened, a physician, though, well, I, to... I did after about a week and a half, I did go to see, uh, well, actually I was on a Saturday evening and one night I came home and it was just like, I could not get this pain to go away. Usually if I was say up and down stairs or walking or doing something very physical, if I just sort of sat down, I could kind of make the pain go away. Yeah. But this one night it just was not going away. So I ended up going to the hospital, but it was Saturday night <laughs> and it was emergency. So it was packed. And uh, the lady there, she sort of took me in and, you know, sort of started up all the paperwork. And when I explained what it was, she's like, well, she goes, don't worry, it's not a heart attack. She said, first of all, women, (laughs) first of all, women don't, uh, they don't sort of show or present that way. They said it's usually a stomach ache or a back ache Mm -hmm. and it's not usually in your chest. Right. And she said, you know, let me take your blood pressure. So she said, it is a little high, but if you're feeling stressed, you know, that would explain that. And so basically she talked me out of stain, like, cause she said, you know, we'll have to bring somebody in and it might be a long wait. And Mm -hmm. so she was kind of giving all these excuses. So eventually it's like, okay, you know what, we'll just go home. I'll just rest and we'll see what happens next right. week. So it did go away. And the next day I sort of took it easy. And then the next day after that, I was going to work and again, pain. So I ended up going to a walk-in clinic on wow. my way to work Holy and uh, said the same thing. I got, right. you know, got this pain. So I saw another doctor or this first one was a nurse, actually the lady at the hospital, but this one was a male doctor. And so again, this whole, Oh, you know, it's probably just a pulled muscle. It's probably, you know, nothing to be, to be worried about. So I was like, okay, well, this is a doctor who's now told me it's not a heart attack so I can relax. Um, so that was on the Monday and then the Wednesday I was at work and I was just sitting at my desk and I was on the phone and this pain just sort of started up again yes. and it was really serious. And I, like I said, I can't you even had to really, stop what you were doing. I had this to, I couldn't even I ignore think of. it. Exactly. It's like, I can't ignore this. So finally I just, uh, laid down on the floor of my, de- <laughs> of my office, I should say. And I called out to one of my coworkers and I said, I think you should call an ambulance. Right. So they did and they came and they can do all sorts of stuff like right on the spot, you know, like they can give you a blood test thing. So they did that. And then they were, um, kind of, I was really sweating profusely. So they were wiping me down. They gave me a little bit of water. And, um, as they took me on a stretcher down to the ambulance, they got the result back. And I said, you know, you're having a heart attack right now. Wow. Yeah. So while you're on the floor waiting for an ambulance yes. type thing? Yeah, it was Holy happening. Shit. Yeah. So we we're in the ambulance and he's saying, you know, you're having a heart attack right now. So we're going to rush you to emergency. And so they took me to St. Boniface, which was really close to where I worked Cause mm-hmm. I worked in the exchange then. And they actually called ahead and they said, you know, we're bringing in a heart attack. So everyone was sort of ready to go when I got there. Exactly. So within like 30 minutes of them taking me and me getting to the hospital, I was in surgery. So they did a angioplasty and a stent. And it was all like, that was all very surreal because in my mind, I'm thinking, this isn't hard. (laughs) I've already been told twice. Like it can't be, they must be wrong, but it's like, you know, they're, they're doing it. Like it's a heart attack. So what happened was I had these three valves and one of them was a hundred percent blocked. The other two weren't bad. So they said a hundred percent block was the one they had to repair. And they said, you know, it's very unusual that you would have just one soul blocked. So they think it might've been either a hereditary, like some birth defect that I just wouldn't have known about otherwise. Or I had been hit by a car when I was about 24 years old. So they said, you know, maybe on that side. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Okay. Where did you get hit? 
I mean, where, what street was it? Oh, this was in St. Vital. St. Vital? Yeah. Like between St. Mary's? Uh, Saint, it was actually St. Anne's and St. Mary's, kind of where the junction oh, is. Oh, man, that's brutal. Yeah. So I was hit by a car, and uh, and actually, I sort of remember seeing the car, like, just as it's about to hit me. Because <laughs> like, I, I was walking against the traffic. But actually, that saved my life. The police and the ambulance and everyone told me afterwards, they said, you know, you were like a rag doll. Because I hit, and I was like, they, they measured it out. It was like 25 feet that I flew. Oh, holy shit. Really? And I was fine. Not a broken bone or anything. Thing. Well, it was winter, so I was like wearing clothes yeah, and extra your, layers you're bulked and up stuff. From your That's right, yeah. And there was snow; like I landed on snow. But uh, yeah, so they wow. said, well, maybe when that happened, something got injured, and again, it just wouldn't have shown up on an X-ray necessarily. So, no. so, uh, but yeah, they said, well, because of your age and because you know it doesn't seem as though there's buildup in the others, they said it's probably something that you know it was going to happen. So I was very lucky in a way because of my age. Uh, you know, they said the recovery from that will be not as serious as if I was say 30 years older. Right, right. Yeah. So you're, you're walking into the traffic like, like oh you're the car I'm, accident yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm curious as to about this car accident so but you're still so you saw this car what the car didn't see you no you know i it, as i said it was completely my fault because i walked against the light like i was really i was really focused on something else obviously Jay walker i well and and i just i obviously was not paying attention to the lights and so i just kind of started to walk across and this car i heard the skidding because yeah. he was really really trying to avoid me but i think the ice and whatever he just couldn't and so i hit like he hit me like right on the you know like right on the uh, front part of his car, you know, like it wasn't like he dinged me off the side or anything. It was like a full on hit. Right. And, uh, but I mean, he was starting to slow down, I think, but he was terrified and oh, I'm sure. I, I kind of blacked out. I think like, I don't remember there being a huge space of time that I missed, but I mean, I remember being hit. I remember flying. Cause I remember thinking like, this is it. Like, <laughs> this is it. I'm done. I do. I remember being in the air and hitting the ground. I'm and sure then I kind of don't remember. Leaving your body going up, watching the scene above. <laughs> Could have been. God. No, it's not your time. Go back no, down. Go back down. You still have work to do, dear. Um, so yeah, and then I woke up. I mean, and I remember there was all these people standing around me. I was like flat on the ground, and uh, this one lady was crying because she had been in a taxi in the in a car on the other side of St. Anne's, or, sorry, St. Mary's, and uh, she said, "I thought for sure you were dead." And so they all came over, you know. But yeah, I was sort of like lying there. They're all watching. There was one man who kind of took charge of the thing, and right. he said, "We've already called police and ambulance. They're on their way." And I was like, you know, I think I'm okay. Like I said, I think I can actually get up. And they were like, "No, no, stay down." No. They thought I had a broken back. That's you know, good advice. Bad. You know, yeah, you, you don't want to move after flying through the air <laughs> like a dead poodle. Call back to episode two. Thank you. Uh, so how long uh, were you in the hospital with your heart attack? Or like, was it just like you? Uh, five days. Five days. Yeah. Wow. And how long until you were back in the workforce? Or was it... uh, I think I took about three months off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you're moving very slow. <laughs> like, very, very well, you know, you have slow. to do a lot of cardiac, uh, you know, education afterwards. Like I took a cardiac program, which is really basically like, you know, things you should be doing. Because like when I was there and, you know, the doctors are talking to you and they were saying, like one guy said to me, he's like, you know, you don't like seem like the um, couch potato type. And I'm like, well, I'm not, you know, like I'm pretty yeah. busy. I do a lot of different things. But he oh, said, well, really? how do you spend your evening? So I said, well, I'm on like seven boards. And so I go to a lot of meetings. So I'm sitting in meetings. And he said, well, sitting oh. at a meeting is the same as sitting. You're on seven boards? At the time I was. I was very busy. <laughs> Why are you such a board hoarder? <laughs> 
board hoarder. It's hard to say. What? I just, you know, I have a hard time saying no. And I just uh, was getting asked. I was getting asked all the time. And one of them was actually like, uh, I was working at the Writers Guild, but myself and two others, we had started the Writers Festival. Mm-hmm. And so one of that board, those boards was something that I was really passionate about. And, you know, being a founder, yeah. you really, it's your baby, right? So you want to make right. sure that it does well. Is that a festival still going on? It is, yeah. yeah. It's the Thin Air uh, Writers Festival. Thin Air, of course. Yeah. Huge. And that's what year? How many years? Uh, that started in 96. Wow. Holy. Yeah. 20 years? Yeah. 21, 22, 22 years. years. Holy. Yeah. And you're yeah. not, but you're not associated with it, but I imagine you still go. I do go sometimes. And I always sort of like to share whatever they are, you know, whatever's going on. I like to share their program and encourage people to go. And But they do great things. Like they are in schools. They're doing things in libraries. And they're really just trying to bring books to people, you know, and, and writers to people and have yeah. them share their stories. And there's lots of things with kids, free programming for kids. Has it happened this year? Uh, it happens in September every September. year. September. Yeah. Okay. Make a note. Thin air. <laughs> Writer's Fest. It's usually at the Forks, like the theater, the big theater there. Yeah. So, yeah. I remember when I worked at M2IP, there'd always be like pamphlets and stuff right. hanging out there. The I think maybe, do you, I think, do you use that theater at all? Yeah. Well, yeah. I think I used to see you there sometimes because oh. you'd be teaching mm-hmm. and then I would be there for events. Yeah. Yeah. I remember so. that. Yeah. So for the so the collaborative effort here is like basically you took all the notes and you wrote this book. Yeah. Yeah. Like he had it sort of written out and uh and a bit of I mean it was very much like the chronological story of how everything happened, but it was just it just needed editing. Right. Yeah. So but, but a lot of these words would you say were are yours or his? Well, kind of a combination. It is so it is definitely a, a collab. A collaborative effort, yeah. Right. Cuz I so, really wanted to I, like there's some things that he would sort of explain and it was like, you know, that's kind of confusing so I would sort of change it a little bit um so that the meaning was still the same but essentially it was just a little bit more clear. There were a few things like police terms that he would just sort of throw in and it's like most people might not know what that means so you have yeah. to kind of explain or expand on it. Um, some of the positions of the, you know, the higher up rank detectives, you know, is like he would just have the initials and it's like, okay, well, let's spell that out. Right. Just very minor things. Nothing that changed the story, but just things that made it for a cleaner read. Did you approach, I'm looking at the the spine of the book, Poison Berry Press. Mm -hmm. Who are they? Uh, That's the publisher. Uh, So it's just a really, really small outfit. And uh, out of uh, Winnipeg? No, they're actually out of Ontario. Out of Ontario. Yeah. So you have a good relationship with these people? Yeah. Yeah, it's really, it's like a mother-daughter team. And, yeah. and they, what had happened actually is that Patrick, before we had met, um, he did have a little bit of interest, I suppose, in um, like a publisher being interested in it. But once he passed away, they're kind of like, well, you know, the author is gone. Yeah. So they're, you know, what's, what's the point of really doing it? And these two women were just like, well, that's awful. Like he died and, you know, they're punishing him because he's just not here anymore. And it doesn't mean that the story's still not valuable or the story still shouldn't be told. So they kind of jumped in and said, you know, we will help with the covering of the costs of it and we'll publish it if I was willing to do the editorial. Okay. So it was all like, I see, like it was like this group was already here. Yeah. Well, they're interested in publishing. They're really interested in publishing women writers and their interest. And I think it's more because of their personal interest in reading is in true crime and mysteries. So, right. Yeah. That's cool. Mm -hmm. And will they be, uh, taking on your next project? Possibly. Um, I'm looking at doing a book about family annihilators. So it is true crime again, but rather than focusing on one case, like this is all about Jeffrey Dahmer, what I'd like to do is sort of do, uh, chapters with each chapter featuring a person who's killed their whole family. So there's, and there's a number of cases like around the world like this, and it's essentially where, um, 
yeah, one person just kind of like doesn't have any kind of criminal background, hasn't committed really any kind of crime, no mm-hmm. violence, you know, that anyone seems to be aware of. Right. And then they just like massacre their family. And then often it's a murder suicide. Sometimes they try and get away. So, oh my God. Yeah. So it's another cheery book. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, if you're looking for something for Mother's Day, <laughs> make sure you pick up Robin Maharaj's uh, next book for next year. Um, tell me, what, what was uh, Patrick Candy like? Like as a, as a, you know, just as a person, was he a nice guy? From what he, you, from what you, when you met him, he or was, was he really stone face. <laughs> no, he was really nice. The, the thing about Patrick is that he is like six foot seven, and he's massive. Like <laughs> right. he's a mat. His feet are like sixteen. Was like size sixteen Holy or something. And he had yeah. his clothes. Like he t- was telling me all this stuff. <laughs> he has to go to a tailor to get shirts made and things like that. But anyway, he so he's a, sort of a massive man, and he kind of just fills a room. So when I met him, I mean, I knew he was a big man just from the pictures and things that I'd seen in interviews. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it wasn't sort of a complete surprise, but yeah, he's sort of is a huge, big voice, you know, great, big laugh, you know, mm-hmm. um, very, very Midwestern, you know, um, has this kind of funny handlebar mustache, but it really yeah, suits him. Yeah, I love him. his mustache on his, <laughs> on his book. He's like Sam Elliott. Yeah. He's got a Sam Elliott mustache. <laughs> and yeah, his mustache is, over the years, if you look at pictures like back when he was like first starting off as a, as a policeman and all through the D- Dahmer days and everything till now, like he had that mustache the whole time and, uh. He was just a really warm person. Like, he just loved to talk to people and help people. And mm-hmm. uh, that was the other thing I wanted to do with the book as well, is that I figured, well, now that he's gone, this is an opportunity to actually profile him a little bit. Exactly. So in the back, there's sort of, not, not a biography, I wouldn't go that far, but this is a little bit of a write-up of him. Because I found when he talked about his past, like, not even just the Dahmer story, but what he was doing before that was kind of interesting. And then him quitting um, the uh, police force and then going back to school. Like, oh, that right. was really interesting to me. And he well, wanted sure, to go on and sure. teach other new recruits you know so he was all about education giving back yeah it seems like his whole demeanor seems to be uh he's just there to help in a sense you know and And i think he had a real good uh, way about people like i think he uh, assessed people pretty well and quick and so he could tell from sitting down with dom or what he should or shouldn't say or you know what he might say that might get the guy to shut down because i think that was initially probably Dahmer's very first reaction maybe initially would be like to try and talk his way out of it because he had had some success with that in the past yeah he talked to police and managed to sort of like convince them that everything was fine so I think he was sort of trying to maybe talk his way out of it a little bit but then realizing they've got his whole apartment and all the evidence yeah, is going to be there yeah, he's fucked he's like, yeah. they got everything they've got uh, it can all. you help us uh, yeah <laughs> but I mean I think otherwise if, <laughs> another detective another detective coming in maybe giving him sort of a little bit of authority or, or talking sort of rudely to him he would have just shut down like that was his way he would have just like stopped talking he would have just like been silent yeah, but he, Patrick was the right guy yeah he somehow managed to kind of and then the whole idea of the alcoholism because Patrick was a recovering alcoholic mm-hmm. hadn't had a drink in a long time but he was a recovering alcoholic and he knew just by looking at Dahmer and smelling his breath that this is a guy who's probably drinking and yeah. maybe a lot of See, that has to reading do reading the book like I said on chapter 10 I'm like oh it sounds like he might actually touch the stuff again after having to hear all the horror <laughs> stories from Dahmer and I don't want to know but uh, that's just a kind of uh, my I was thinking that I could see it happening you know like oh god I have to take one drink just to get the <laughs> Get this out of my brain for an hour. Yeah, know? yeah. Wow, wow. It's a great book. I absolutely love that book. I, I can't wait to uh, to finish it up. 
Um, all right. Well, I think we can do the money shot. Uh, you've, you've heard the program, so you know what it is. Yeah. And um, for the listeners at home, basically the idea here is I'm going to give Robin a uh, hundred questions. If she can finish all 105 minutes, she's going to receive the money shot. And tonight's money shot is... $7.58 plus uh, a Darth Vader toaster. It's a piece of crap, but, you know, it's in Star Wars. Okay, Robin, for all the marbles, let's begin at the sound of the shotgun. In three, two, one. Oh, God damn it. Spell Manitoba. M-A-N-I-T-O-B-A. Have you camped at Clear Lake, Manitoba? Yes. Can you curl? No. Name a Manitoban. Louis Rial. What color is the golden boy? Gold. Do you like pierogies? Yes. Where do you buy food? Uh, Sobeys. Smiling or crying? Smiling. Name a former pet. Uh, Spunky. Favorite color? (laughs) Blue. (laughs) Name a Winnipeg Jet. Uh, Adam Lowry. Name a store in Portage Place Mall. Uh, Staples. Do you watch The Walking Dead? No. Al Simmons or Fred Penner? Uh, Fred Penner. Favorite old Dutch chip flavor? Ketchup. Favorite month of the year? May. Why do birds suddenly appear? (laughs) It's a good one. Because you're there. (laughs) Last book you read? (laughs) Um... Oh, gosh. Uh, when the Music Stops by Peter Robinson. Do you remember Barney Miller? Yes. I'm on a huge kick with him. Do you, what, what do you cook? Um, everything. Favorite video game? I don't have a video, favorite video game. Oh. Tetris. There you go. What do you miss from your childhood? Um, being out in the street with friends. Light or dark roasted? Light. Name your third favorite writer. Oh, uh, I guess I would say Peter Robinson. Sure. What's the last movie you watched? Uh, that Last Jedi one. <laughs> Is that what it's called? Yeah. Who's your daddy? David. <laughs> what goes on a table? Um, fruit plate. Have you met Sidney Clausen? No. Dishwasher or sink? Dishwasher. Can you sing? No. Favorite item you own? Um, gosh. Uh, my dog. Uh, do look like a... Lady. Do you like bare naked ladies? Yes. Name a diva. Uh, RuPaul. <laughs> Name a city outside Manitoba. Portage La Prairie. Favorite dance move? Uh, the twist. What's the drink, what's your drink of choice? Gin and tonic. Have you been, ooh, have you been to Assiniboia Downs? Yes. What rhymes with Winnipeg? Um, what rhymes? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Dinnipeg. Good. Have you ever owned a bus pass? Yes. Have you ever been in jail? Yes. Oh, is Mayor Brian Bowman <laughs> cool? No. <laughs> do you still watch The Simpsons? Yes. Do you yoga? Yes. Have you been to Disneyland? Yes. Ha- uh, name Yogi Bear's sidekick. Uh, Boo Boo. Have you visited the Human Rights Museum? No. Are you going? Are you going bike riding this summer? Yes. Uh, name uh, your go-to fruit. <laughs> Pineapple. <laughs> really? How many family members do you have that live in Winnipeg? Uh, two. Facebook or Twitter? Facebook. Uh, most amount you've ever won at bingo? Uh, probably $5. Name something in my apartment. Uh, uh, Robin's Donut Coffee Cans. <laughs> nice. Excited about the royal wedding? <laughs> Not <laughs> really. Would you eat a bug? No. Have you received a speeding ticket in the last year? Mm, no. Who does your hair? <laughs> a girl named Carly. What's your favorite restaurant? Um... Oh gosh! Mm-hmm. Come on. Five guys. I guess. Do you mind? Do do you ski? No. Uh, have you ever shot a gun? 
No. Can you catch a frisbee? Yes. Favorite app on your phone? Um, images like pictures. Go. That's an app picture. Go Jets blank. Go. Okay, good. Madonna or Lady Gaga? Madonna. Favorite Beatles song? Um, let it be. Uh, name a Canadian actor. <clears throat> uh, Richard Chamberlain. How many times a day do you brush your teeth? Three times. Name something black. Um, what my hair used to be. <laughs> name. Have you ever punched a girl? Uh, yes. Do you like pickles? <laughs> yes. Favorite comic strip? Archie. When? Uh, when the last? When's the last time you bought a newspaper? Oh, probably about two years ago. Name an employee at CBC Canada. Uh, uh Sandra Petrukic, the, the reporter. Who's okay, a reporter. Sure. <laughs> Say something in French. Say Bonjour. the guy's name again. <laughs> Bonjour. Name a hospital in Winnipeg. Saint Boniface. Oh, less than a minute. Uh, the Calgos. Moo. Uh, name a member of Kiss. Dan Martin. Gene Simmons. What's your favorite radio station? Uh, Ninety nine point nine. How much would you pay for a street dog? <laughs> Ten dollars. Bath or oh god, bath or shower? Shower. Favorite chocolate item? Uh, Snickers. Were you in Girl Guides? Yes. Have you played a uh, ringette? No. Do you order from Amazon? Yes. Uh, what makes you vomit? Oh, um, qu- uh, warm on. milk. Favorite Keanu Reeves movie? <laughs> Um, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Microwave or oven? Uh, oven. Do you like your popcorn? How do you like your popcorn? Popped. Are you on Snapchat? No. Where do you go? Where did you go on your last vacation? Uh, where was I? Was Ten Pencil- seconds. Pennsylvania. What's your favorite VHS tape? <laughs> uh, Ferris Bueller. Name a YouTube personality. Uh, Bono. Name another Robin. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, so close. So close, Robin. You're the closest uh, ever. Really? Oh my god! You were that was ninety four questions. Oh my oh, gosh! I'm sorry. Oh my god! Uh, I think that's the show. I think we're cool. good. Oh, you've been amazing. Is Great talking okay? to you, Robin. Oh, it's just so good to see you. Aww. You know, it's yeah. been so long. Yeah. Um, go check out this book, Dahmer Detective. Where can they buy this? McNally Robinson. You can buy it at McNally Robinson. You can buy it on uh, Amazon. You can buy it online. You can yeah. buy it on Amazon. Yeah. You can buy it on Amazon, yeah. uh, like the American Amazon.com. Uh, right. Amazon.com. Yeah. yeah. And there's your show, you bunch of hoo-hahs. Thank you for listening to the Manitoba Money Shot podcast. Uh, Tune in again when I get around to putting up a new one. And, uh, yeah, 